The following program was made possible by Ward's lawyers. Find us at wardlegal.ca. Thank you all for gathering here today, two meters apart, on this monumental occasion. Wow, the 10th episode of the Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes. I, I am truly humbled. Oh, this, this milestone could not have been achieved without our exclusive sponsor, Ward's Lawyers, and the guidance of advocate publishers Roderick Benz and Jolie Scheidler-Benz, who, uh, I, I, I'm sorry, neighbors, I, I forgot to turn off my phone. This will just take a, the call display reads, local internet troll. Oh, I gotta take this. Hello? You're awful, you're terrible, you stink, and most of all, you are not funny. Ooh, not funny. Boy, if my son had a nickel for every time he heard that about me, well, he wouldn't care about losing his $2 an hour increase to his service job. Is there anything else, Mr. Troll? What's the point? You're probably going to censor this, aren't you? My opinions are always being censored by all media. And when they're deleted, how am I supposed to remember them? Oh, come on now, Trolly. I can call you Trolly, I hope. Are we talking about opinions or really just mean-spirited, uninformed, meandering diatribes directed at all levels of government and independent businesses, fueled by a persecution complex, conspiracy theories, and a really long smartphone battery life? Is, is that it, maybe? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you and the world what I think of your opinions with my thumb. Sad face, sad face, sad face, angry face, angry face, and just to really confuse you, crying face. Huh, guess I shouldn't ask you your uh, opinion of the podcast then. Unlistenable. And I should know because I haven't even listened to it. <laughs> hey dad, coffee's ready. Oh, it was, it was all just a dream. Thanks buddy. Be right there. <sighs> just a dream. What, what? Blocked call? H hello? <laughs> You're still awful and un- ah! Well, thank goodness we don't really have internet trolls in Kawartha Lakes, right? Right? But we do have great stories on today's program. Bass player, bassist, you choose. Lindsey's Graham Morrison is good with either. He has a strong connection to the instrument, which when he plays it, I gotta tell you, it just left my mouth gape. We meet Graham and his bass later in the show. Lawyer Brogan Dean with Ward's Lawyers tells us why choosing a power of attorney for healthcare is bestowing someone with, sure, an honor, but also a big responsibility. Norma Jean Sutton, she and that tiny post office she operated from her house meant so much more to Ray Bro than just a means to mail packages. And Advocate Associate Editor Nancy Payne gives us a first-hand assessment of a test we've been hearing a lot about since March. My name is Denny Grignell, and this is the Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes, Episode 10. Okay, I don't think I'm imagining this based on casual conversation with friends and neighbors. There are more squirrels and chipmunks this year, right? Or wrong? 
Maybe for me and maybe for you, it's all in our heads. Maybe we are not being overrun this year by what my wife likes to refer to as rodents with good PR, scurrying out in a boot every time I start the car or take out the trash or collect the mail. Or maybe it's not just my imagination. Maybe it's real. Rob Stavinga is with Ken Reed Conservation Authority. 30 to 40% increase. One thing I do know is is last year was a really good year for oak trees, for acorns. They had a really good crop last year. So because they eat acorns, it's a good year for chipmunks and squirrels. Lots of, lots of uh, food stored and lots of productivity. Huh. Well, lots of productivity. That's a nice way of putting their, their breeding conditions or have been better this year. Yeah, and uh, in our part of the world, typically chipmunks only breed, like produce one litter a year. But if they have a really exceptionally good year for food, then they'll produce two. They're not true hibernators. They go into torpor or whatever, but they don't. They spend more time looking for food, so they breed uh, more frequently twice a year. But up here, it's usually just once a year. Now, what of the theory? And this is, you know, purely anecdotal hypothesizing. Um, more people at home, uh, more people f- building and feeding existing bird feeders. So more food for chipmunks and squirrels. Um, that's kind yeah. of a leading question, but does that no, even make I, sense? I, I totally agree with that. I was That was one of the things I wanted to comment on is a lot of people are at home looking out the window, so they're seeing a lot more squirrels. So Definitely people are, are around and they're feeding birds, and chipmunks and squirrels take advantage of that. Okay, well, in the grand scheme of things, um, are, are we messing with the ecosystem at all by, by leaving bird feed around and, and increasing the population, or will it just find its natural level? There is evidence. Like, there's a lot of, uh, um, if you do some reading and literature and stuff, the, the two rodents that can impact bird uh, nesting success are squirrels and, and uh, chipmunks. They both can predate on bird nests, right? Eat the eggs, eat the chicks. So especially especially squirrels and they're foraging for eggs and stuff like that. If you jump up the numbers of squirrels around your house, you're probably going to have an impact on on bird breeding success. My recommendation for for sort of naturalizing your backyard is and attracting birds is using plants and things like that, right? Not relying so much on feeders. Even though I'm a bird feeder myself, my if you ever see my house, my backyard is about 80%. Um, gardens and native plants and things like that and so is my front yard so that actually helps to deter the squirrels a little bit too because they don't like all that cover around them they they're a little bit scared of any of the predators that might be lurking in that environment some sort of native plants and full gardens and things the squirrels start to disappear so okay so keep the bird feeders and keep uh, keep filling them just plant a lot of natural plants around it to deter the squirrels and chipmunks yeah i i kind of equate it to Bird feeders are like a, a fast food restaurant for, for birds, whereas a natural landscape is is the complete, you know, what they need to survive. It has habitat for nesting, food, everything. You're listening to episode 10 of the Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes. These past few months have reinforced for all of us just how precious life is. It's also been a reminder of the importance of choosing someone to carry out our wishes should we reach that stage when we no longer have the mental capacity to do so. Being named power of attorney for healthcare may seem like an honor, and it is, but as Brogan Dean, a lawyer who practices in wills and estate planning, explains, there's much more to consider for the person asking and for the person being asked. I met with Brogan in the offices of Ward's Lawyers in Lindsay. It's very difficult. It's an emotionally draining 
position for that individual to be in. It's a fiduciary relationship. So what that means is you're in a position of power. So you are responsible and it's your job to carry out that duty of care to make sure you're acting in their best interest. So there is a definitely, there's definitely a pendulum and you're looking at both sides of that spectrum, but it's better to put something in place prior to so you can have lessen the burden down the road. The biggest thing is to consider is the person who's acting. So whether or not you feel that they would be able to make that decision, it's emotionally taxing. So you're potentially in a situation where you have to deal with parents who are no longer, they've lived at home, they've been uh, independent, and you're now looking to potentially have to put them um, in a care facility. So it's something that's very taxing on family members and loved ones. So you really need to think about the person you're choosing to carry out those wishes for you to see whether or not they would be able to do that. If I'm that person who's putting together that document, how clearly do I spell out those things that A, if um, I can't do this, or if I can do this, then leave it up to me. Where, where do you, how well defined can that be? It's really difficult because what you put in writing carries a lot of weight because at the time when the person enters into that power of attorney for personal care, they have the capacity. So when you're looking down the road and it's something that it needs to be brought out because there may be a potential for the capacity to um, no longer be there. They slip. They slip, yeah. And it's uh, it can happen very quickly or it could happen years down the road or it couldn't happen at all. So mm -hmm. the biggest thing is making sure you have the conversation. It's not just as much as putting it in a document and then you're signing it and moving on. It's more or less having that conversation before you actually start the process. I think that's the biggest thing to take away. Let's say it's myself. If I'm deciding to have that conversation with whether it's a brother, a sister, or, or a son or my wife, what would you encourage in that conversation that I have with that person? Yeah, I think the biggest thing to keep in mind is their wishes. So if their wish is to stay at home for as long as possible for for the duration of time that they do have the capacity and they're able to do so, then that's important to relay to your family members or whoever you have acting. And I think the biggest thing too is, you know, when you're looking at wishes down the road, if it is living in a long-term care home or in the, when you are in the hospital, it's more what your decisions would be at that time. Typically it's family members that are acting on behalf of the individual who is putting that power of attorney in place. And I think a lot of the times people don't want to have those difficult conversations and they don't think about it. They think if they don't deal with it, then it's not going to be an issue. As a young lawyer myself, I do find that I'm not just dealing with people my parents' age, I'm dealing with an entire age range of people who really are coming in because they don't want to put that burden on someone else. While the lawyer's role and responsibility is to assess capacity before they enter into the power of attorney, you are consulting with healthcare professionals to ensure that the capacity is there. So if they can make decisions on their own, then that's going to be the decision that's made and they're gonna look at that first. So you definitely aren't going to arbitrarily be the person who decides I'm gonna be acting as attorney and the decision is on solely on that person. It's going to be with the consultation of a healthcare professional because they're the best person to see the capacity and see the situation. So you're looking at medical treatment or you're looking at uh, that type of care to ensure that the right person is making the decision and that should always be up to the individual unless there's capacity issues. Why is it important to have a lawyer 
look through this in the end. I'm sure there are a lot of people going, well, hey, listen, I sat down with person X who's going to take care of all of this. We'll just sign off on it and put it in a safety deposit box. Yeah, it's a good question. I think the biggest thing is that this conversation doesn't typically happen. So when we do have clients coming in, we raise questions with them that they wouldn't necessarily think of. More so if it is, you know, family. So you're looking at who you name. So that person is considered your attorney. And whether or not you want to name more than one person plays a big factor as well. So their proximity to where you are. If you do have multiple people, if you're naming them jointly, so that would mean they make decisions together or jointly and severally. So that term is used when you have two people acting. So if you name two individuals to be your attorney, but they don't necessarily both have to physically be there to make that decision. But I think a lot of the time, clients worry about leaving out family members in the fear of that they'll feel like they're Left excluding yeah, yeah excluding them which isn't the case it should be looked at it really is a it's a burden when you're dealing with those types of situations it's a lot of responsibility i think a big thing to deal with when you're looking at who to name is the relationship that you have with them i know Certain people will have a harder time dealing with an emotional decision that they have to make. It is going to be a difficult one. So naming someone who you trust, but who you also know is going to act in your best interest, it's, it's not going to be an easy decision to make. And these are difficult things that will come up when you're dealing with uh, healthcare decisions. It's a strong personality that you're going to have to have. It almost sounds, broken. like in some cases you, you'll be choosing someone who is not your quote-unquote favorite person or your favorite family member, but somebody that you know that, yeah, they kind of get under my skin, but they're the kind of person who can keep their head down and really get this done. Yeah, that's right. I think, you know, in, in Ontario, you have the two powers of attorney. So you have power of attorney for your finances. So that's for property. And then you have one for personal care. Both could be two very different people. You know, you have someone who would be better off dealing with finances, dealing with the money side of things, and then you have someone who can make those decisions despite it being an emotional one. And they may have two completely different sets of qualities and characteristics. That's right. Brogan Dean is a lawyer who practices in wills and estate planning. She is part of the team at Ward's Lawyers, official sponsor of the Advocate Podcast. For all your legal needs, including wills and estate planning, find them at wardlegal.ca. Coming up, the Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes, pays tribute to a, a very special woman from Rayboro. People's mail, it's money, it's the responsibility of all that, that you don't really think about until all of a sudden it's there and this is your job, you do it. My kids were here working with the post office. Half the neighborhood kids that stopped in on their way to school or on their way home from school because their parents were working, so they'd stop in here and their parents had picked them up on their way home. They stop and visit and cry on your shoulder maybe a little bit about their problems. No, it's just been interesting, a challenge at the same time. It's, it's nice to know that I've done something helpful for the community, I guess. That was Norma Jean Sutton from a few years ago on the 50th anniversary of her role in Rayboro. She ran the local post office from literally the front enclosed entrance of her home. But Norma Jean was so much more than just the person who mailed your packages or sold you stamps or housed a few dozen mailboxes. She was one of the first people who greeted me so warmly when I moved to Rayboro in 1998. 
And even though we moved from Raybro to about 15 kilometers north, I still found reason to use that post office and to visit Norma Jean. Norma Jean died about a week ago after a brief illness. And yes, this is my third or fourth attempt at getting through this introduction, by the way. Thanks, pre-recorded podcasts. Norma Jean touched so many people. Marnie Callahan was among them. She and her husband Steve lived just steps away from Norma Jean's home and post office, the de facto Rayborough epicenter. She was always such a great smiling face. She was just such a constant yeah. in Rayborough. You know, we have so few constants in our life. Everybody's so transient, everybody's moving. And uh, Norma Jean's been there right always. And, you know, just always such a lovely smiling face I, I mean I've never seen her down or grumpy and I suppose like all of us she might get there sometimes but she certainly never uh I never saw it you know she had a lovely lovely hummingbirds right out there outside the uh post office so that's why I ended up getting a hummingbird feeder you know seeing Norma Jean's hummingbird and she just she always had a gazillion hummingbirds there and I have very few so I don't know what her secret was she knew everybody's kids she knew where everybody's kids were going to school she always asked about the kids she always at like at Christmas, at, at Valentine's Day, Halloween, there was always treats in the mailbox for the kids. You know, my kids have been long gone. She's, you know, she still would always ask about them and how they were doing. And what does yeah. she represent to the community? You think beyond just the, you know, the woman you collected your mail from or, or sent a package via? Well, I really thought of her as the hub. Like she really was the hub. And I think I think she was sort of the last remnant of the old village and not that I never thought of as her as old. I thought of her as young. She was always so young of heart. But I mean, at one time, Rayboro had a school and had a church and um, had a little store and the post office was the last thing and it'll be gone. I'm sure now that she is gone and, uh, um, you know, it that that is really sad. Not It's sad that more sad that she's gone also sad that the post office which was a little hub a little a little center where neighbors met neighbors she had her little community bulletin board there um yeah yeah it'll be it'll be very very sad i mean uh, her she her three children all live very very close a stone's throw from her and um all of them were you know a very very tight-knit family and you know, I think her son-in-law and her daughter-in-laws were as close to her as her children, which says a lot about her. What's the one lasting image or impression you'll have of her? Hmm. Just a caring, smiling face that was always there and has been for, you know, for 34 years of my life. Yeah. You're listening to The Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. Last week, Selena Reavy told us how buoyant she was following the peaceful protest for the Black Lives Movement she helped organize in Lindsay. That protest took place right across from the Kawartha Lakes Police Service, and it's inside that building where members of the local police services invited Selena, Brooklyn Coors, Abby Jardine, and Peyton Caldoza to meet with them to discuss their concerns, hopes, and their path, and the services path, for the future. I spoke to Selena the day after that meeting. Our main goal going into the meeting was to educate. So Brooklyn, Peyton, Abby and I, we each had our um, different topics, um, like 
for example, one of Abby's topics was uh, collecting media from the community. She talked to different business owners, uh, people that lived in the area, and got their thoughts on some general questions like, well, how do you feel about police? Have you ever been discriminated against? Uh, what would you do if uh, you were discriminated against? And we kind of took that forward to the police to show them uh, kind of a new light and a new side of the community that maybe they didn't think about before. That was Selena Reeve on a recent meeting with members of the Kawartha Lakes Police Service and the OPP following the peaceful protest Black Lives Matter conducted across from the Kawartha Lakes Police Service Station a few weeks ago. Now, one of the people who initiated this meeting and who was at that protest is Kawartha Lakes Chief of Police, Mark Mitchell. I asked Chief Mitchell how this meeting came about. At the event, uh, at the conclusion of the event, I was so impressed um, with these young ladies who organized it um, that as, as the group was dispersing, I asked them if they would be interested uh, to, uh, to have a follow-up meeting with us. Um, and uh, the OPP uh, inspector, Tim Tacho, was also in attendance. And we just spoke briefly as a group and, and decided it would be beneficial to have a follow-up meeting. Well, elaborate on that beneficial thing. What, why did you feel having this meeting was important? My purpose uh, was twofold. One was to um, thank them and acknowledge their efforts, and then two, uh, to um, you know, capitalize on the positive momentum uh, from that event, and how do we capture that, and how do we move forward, and uh, you know, how do we evolve as a police service to make sure that as our community grows in diversity, uh, that the police service uh, evolves to, to meet those needs. Okay, well, let me ask you that question then. How do we grow, given that you've had this meeting? I'm, I'm sure there's some information you were able to, to glean from it and some inspiration. How do we grow? What did you learn from it? Well, the, f the first thing uh, is, you know, we need to um, acknowledge that we don't know all the answers. But one of the things that we talked about uh, as a group was, uh, you know, right now our, our community is relatively homogenous but it is growing in diversity. And I think we have kind of a unique opportunity to be a model, to get it right here uh, and make sure that we don't experience some of the pains that maybe uh, have occurred elsewhere. The challenge is that, uh, you know, it's, it, it is homogenous, but it is changing and that's uh, for the better. Uh, one of the challenges is, um, you know, we haven't had a lot of success recruiting uh, from a police perspective, uh, visible minority candidates. Um, and that's uh, a reflection uh, of the makeup of the community. Um, but, you know, we would hope that, uh, or I certainly hope that, you know, we see improvements as the community grows in diversity that the police service does as well. Is that something that the uh, these young people echoed during the meeting? Yeah, they, you know, I was so impressed. They came in um, with... You know, so many great ideas. Uh, we're following up on some of them with them now about, um, you know, maybe doing some joint messaging uh, to the community, um, you know, diversifying the, the police service. Uh, we talked about things like body-worn cameras and alternative mental health response. And I'm so impressed with, uh, with the way that they uh, approached that meeting. How do you convince them that 
this uh, that the police service's involvement in all of this and, and moving ahead, it's not just going to be a PR lip service. How, how do you convince them that, no, we're really going to act on this? Well, I think for all sides, uh, if people are willing to listen uh, and to learn, and then you come away with a, a better understanding. And, uh, you know, I, I mentioned on social media at the at the at the conclusion of that meeting, you know, at the end of the day, I think we all learned something about each other. Uh, and I certainly learned something from them. And I think that they uh, certainly learned uh, some things about uh, some of the constraints that we uh, operate under and, and some of the uh, great work that we're already doing that, that they would like to see, but maybe just weren't aware of. When you say you learned something from them, what's the one thing that, that you came away from in that meeting going, huh, I never knew that about them? Well, the first thing I learned is that they are far more organized and uh, intelligent than I was at 17. Um, <laughs> than most of us were at 17, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. But, um, uh, you know, just the, uh, just the, the level of uh, preparation uh, that they came in, um, a model or a philosophy to approach situations and the importance of, uh, particularly when dealing with youth, to explain uh, where possible why police are involved and and what the next steps are going to look like to try to alleviate some of those concerns or worries or fears. My name is Deja Brathwaite from Ward's Lawyers and Lindsay, your official sponsor of the Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kortha Lakes. Thanks for being with us on this Canada Day. If, in fact, you're listening on Canada Day, the day that this episode dropped, if not, if it's July 2 or 3 or 4 or 34, well, that's totally fine too. All episodes of the Advocate Podcast are available to stream or download for free, courtesy of our official sponsor, Ward's Lawyers. For all your legal needs, find them at wardlegal.ca. The province has ramped up its testing of COVID-19, which is good news for people who need that test in order to have a face-to-face meeting with a loved one in a retirement or long-term care home. That's why Advocate Associate Editor Nancy Payne had the test, which yielded good news, so she could visit her dad at Adelaide Place in Lindsay. Okay, Nancy, most of us won't get this test done, but if we need to, what can we expect? Take us through your experience, please. I think there was a tiny bit of apprehension for the first time. It's all really well organized and it all moves quite smoothly. I was, I arrived at 1040 for a 1045 appointment and I looked at the clock in the car and I was done by 1053. So it all goes very, very well, but I'm not going to lie. I, you know, the swab goes up your nose and I was wondering what that was going to feel like. And you are in the car when this takes place, right? It's so easy. They make it so easy for you. You just roll down the window. You need to be wearing a mask and then you take that off when the time comes. But uh, they have it down to a science and they're so nice considering how many of these they run through. How many were they running through on that day? How many cars were ahead of you? How many were behind? If you were to guess? Uh, When I arrived, there were probably six ahead of me and then there were one behind me. And then by the time I left, they were saying it was really busy. So yeah, I'm not, they have two lanes you can go through. So it's not like the doctor's office when a 1045 appointment may turn into an 1145 appointment. It's, it, it was really efficient. Yeah, I was very impressed. Okay, so what were you feeling? Because uh, I'm one of those people that, and I've had things up my nose in the past, stuff that was packed for, for burst veins. So I, I, I'm, I'm always wary of that sensation. What was it like just as they were doing what they had to do? 
honestly, it's fine. It goes by really quickly. It's it's a weird sensation. It really is. But just as you might be getting agitated about it, it's over. So it's really quick. I mean, needles aren't fun either, but they're over quickly. And this is all for a purpose, right? Anybody who wants to go visit a long-term care home or a retirement residence, you're going to have to have one of these. So it's not as bad as you might be thinking. Still not a lot of fun. Is it fair to compare it to a, to a needle, to a vaccine? Like nobody likes getting it, but it's eh, over and done pretty quickly, almost in the same period of time. Yeah, it would, except it doesn't hurt. It's just a strange feeling. It's just a little unusual. So uh, afterwards, um, and they tell you all this, they, they tell you you might feel some of these things. You do feel like even, it was almost two hours ago now, and that one side of my nose still feels a little different. Um, but not painful. Not painful, just... Um, Odd. Yeah. Yeah. You know, something is different about it. You might get a slight sensation down the back of your throat or something for a little while afterward. But honestly, it's really not that big a deal at all. And that sensation wanes after a little while, obviously. Like oh, very much so. Yeah. Hey, it's Trevor Hutchinson here. If there's one thing COVID has taught us, internet is pretty important. But for a lot of us here, our internet isn't that great. All the levels of government are talking about spending some big dollars to try to fix, once and for all, rural internet. How are we going to do it? Where do we go next? You can read about this and a whole bunch of other things in the next issue of The Lindsay Advocate. And you can pick that up at Lamentia's in Lindsay or at Sobeys in Fenham Falls. So much great stuff in the print edition of The Advocate magazine, which as advocate writer at large, Trevor Hutchison noted, is now out including a piece by Nancy Payne about her staycation in Corth Lakes. In fact, just a few days ago, I followed part of that route she took on her staycation. I visited Quaker Oaks in the North End. I dropped by and had lunch outside the Kirkfield Lift Locks, which rocks, by the way. But the best part of my staycation, a totally by-chance visit to a chip truck on that Route 8, just east as you're leaving Fenland Falls, headed towards Bob Cajun. It's at the Ultramar. The Delightful Temptations chip truck wasn't officially opened, we discovered when we pulled in. Their official opening day is, well, today, Canada Day. But get this, the women who are running this chip truck, they insisted on making me and my son Yannick fries anyway. And they, they did it enthusiastically. You could tell Donna and Kim were really pumped and primed to get a frying, A-S-A-P. Now, new normal with new safety measures? Yes, of course. But could that still include the familiar chip truck charm? Well, ever the intrepid reporter, I, I, I had to find out while my fries were, you know, frying. Everything that we're doing, obviously, a lot comes from the health department that tells us what and how we're supposed to do it. Um, we have taken precautions, as many precautions as we can for the customers, because once we actually are serving at the window here, there will be sanitization out there for everybody. Um, and we sanitize everything in between. I'm just even thinking psychologically. How, how do you just make sure that they have the same mood, well, that I the mood is the same absolutely. as it would be? Absolutely. I think that, you know what, it's much harder on restaurants than it is for us. At least for us, we are a takeout actual place so that that is in our favor to begin with i think it's much harder on other businesses than it is on us um and i think it's up to us to just keep smiling i mean you know what that's all we can do we can't do more than what we can do one day at a time so that's what we're going to try and do and we can spread a little joy while we're doing it so you must be champing at the bit what do you think those yes. first few hours will be like oh i think the first few will be a lineup hopefully the muscles keep up 
<laughs> I've yet to come across many customers. I would say less than 1% can be rude and obnoxious. Most people are wonderful, and especially during the summer, you know? And it's now that people are getting back out again, I think there's the other thing. They've been inside for so long that this itself is a treat. My name is Kim Trainer, and I'm with Delightful Temptations, and you're listening to The Advocate Podcast. This is episode 10 of The Advocate Podcast, brought to you by our exclusive sponsor, Ward's Lawyers. Find out what they can do for you by visiting wardlegal.ca. About 150 years ago, when I was 15, I inherited a bass guitar from my older brother. Cherished it, loved it, played it. And not really. I never quite got it. I still own it. It's sitting in the corner as a reminder of what never was. But my appreciation for the the bass and the people who have conquered it, that has never waned. That person who can make the bass stand out, but in a subtle kind of way, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. Trust me on this one. I do think bass players are a different breed of musician. The quiet but all-important anchor, which, which can sneak into the forefront, then slip back again. Now, what you're hearing right now is someone I believe has really succeeded with that balance. Someone who grew up right here in Kawartha Lakes, played with the renowned Odyssey Project. He moved to Toronto to study music and to perform, then came home a little over a year ago. I came across Graham Morrison, bass player or bassist, choose one, kind of by chance while searching for his contact information in his other self as the communications director of community care. Now, when I sat down to chat with him in his backyard, that quiet humility, that that polite humility really wasn't lockstep with how I've always perceived true bass players. Okay, I see you with your bass. I have a bass and when I pick it up, I'm I'm excited for the first few minutes, then I just get frustrated and I put it away and I may not go back to it for for months. What's it like for you when you pick up your instrument? It's something very familiar and, you know, at at the end of a long day or or say, you know. Is familiar important? uh, I'd say it's very important. You know, your, your music, your musical instrument at least is, is kind of an extension of yourself. And so, um, kind of having having one where it just feels like it's it's meant to be there um where if you see it kind of on its stand it it looks out of place i think i think it goes a long way towards you know helping you want to pick it up more and and enjoying it more when you are playing you were an integral part of of odyssey what was it like having dad at the helm there yeah it's i'd say it's very different than having a say a dad who's coaching your hockey team you know, you hear a lot of, of stories of kids in that situation where you know, there's some preferential treatment. Um, but speaking from my experience, um, not so much. Well, particularly in in Kinsman Band, kind of when I was a when I was a kid. Um, you know, because my dad was in charge, he basically asked me to play any instrument that they needed filled in. So you know, I wasn't playing bass full time. They needed someone to play drums. He would ask me to play drums. They needed someone to carry the giant berry sacks throughout the you know toronto santa claus parade for four hours then you know i was i was his guy so um, and he probably felt more comfortable asking his own son to do that in many ways yeah and asking is a is putting it nicely (laughs) strongly (laughs) suggesting (laughs) kind of an interesting process where when i was younger and I, i first started playing 
it was all I did, and there was nothing else, no other way that I could identify myself other than you know playing bass. And then after I went to school for it, and, and took a, and then eventually switched out of music school, and then took a few years off from playing. It was it was really interesting where I didn't really associate with that with myself, and that was you how know, come that was that was probably a little bit of purposeful dissociation. Why know? is that? Why were you disassociating from it? Uh, I I think it was it got to a point where you know playing music in school in particular became stressful and it, it became more of a job yeah but not a very fun job a job where you know you yeah sure you're you're playing music you know every day but um a lot of the things that you're learning might not necessarily be to your taste when i got to post secondary it was you know it was really great to connect with so many other people who are in the same boat um but i think for me um, as someone who was naturally very shy and uh, kind of self-conscious, that the the idea of kind of opening myself up and expressing myself musically uh, in front of all these other people who are immensely talented, like all, some of the some of the best music students across the country, it was very intimidating and uh, kind of froze me in my tracks and and you know took some of the fun away from it because I was just you know kind of crippled by the fear of judgment from others even though it wasn't it wasn't actually there no one was judging me everyone was in the same boat and they were probably judging themselves absolutely they probably felt all the same things that i did um so when do you reach that point then does that just come with age or or a move or at what point do you go no i got this it's not just what i do but it's what i am for me it was really just a few years ago i i picked up the bass again and i decided you know this is something that I really like doing, and if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it the way that I want to do it, where I'm just not worried about what other people think. And it's not, you know, it's not like I've ever received a ton of you know, negative criticism or anyone's been mean to me about my playing, um, but I just got to a point where I didn't want that to hold me back from, from having fun. So, um, you know, started putting myself out there a little more, connecting with, you know, people I would just connect with strangers and start playing with them and um, that was something that I hadn't done a lot of in the past and it was it, it's just a great experience the great thing about Lindsay is it's, it's not too far from Toronto so you kind of get the best of both worlds where um, you know you, you kind of you have access to the the big music scene in Toronto but there's also a pretty healthy and, and vibrant arts culture in Lindsay. Do you see the music scene in Toronto differently now that you're here? You've been here for a couple of years? Well, I think I've always kind of wanted to come back. I've, I've always been kind of a small town guy at heart. Um, but the when I think about music in Toronto, there are just so many, so many options. And um, when you're living there, it can kind of get oversaturated and, and you kind of take it for granted where there are so many different things you could check out on any given day. Um, and now that I'm, I'm living out of the city, you, you're more purposeful and you, you know that those things exist, um, but you make kind of more of an experience about going to see them. I know you're teaching now. I just wonder what Graham, the 21-year-old teacher, would have been like versus the Graham of now teaching. Mm -hmm. I think it would be just my approach to uh, you know why people are taking lessons and why they want to learn to play the bass. When when I was thinking back to if I, when I was teaching when I was 21, a lot of it would be more skills based and, and helping people get better. But 
probably not with the same direction where everything that I teach people now, you know, we work together to to kind of fit it into a larger plan to help them be able to play what they want to play so that they can have fun playing. Well, that sounds important to you, the whole fun part. It is, absolutely. I, I, I don't know why you would play music if it wasn't for fun. Um, it's it's one of the most enjoyable things you can do. It's great to use it to connect with other people. Uh, it's a very personal thing, but it's a, also a very interpersonal thing. To hear more of Graham's bass playing and to learn about his work as a bass teacher, go to grahamplaysbass.com. Now remember, that's Graham spelled G-R-A-E-M-E. Or you can find him on Instagram at Graham Moore. That's two R's at the end there. That's also where you'll find where Graham will be performing locally next once all of you know this is over, and it will be. Oh, and uh, if you want another example of how easygoing Graham is, when I sheepishly asked to redo the interview because somebody hadn't hit record the first time, me, he was totally cool about it and very accommodating, which is why at the end of interview two... Nancy and I raise our own chickens. Oh, okay. And uh, we have them professionally processed. So I wanted to leave this with you. This is what happens when you have to oh, redo an interview. Oh my goodness. So that's for you and, uh, you and so Ashley, much. you earned it. Yeah, you do a second interview, you get a chicken. That's how this journalist rolls. The Advocate Podcast Stories from Kawartha Lakes is now on Instagram and Twitter. Follow us on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts for free. Courtesy of our exclusive sponsor, Ward's Lawyers. If you're looking for a lawyer, well, they've got you covered. Find them at wardlegal.ca. Theme and musical bridges written and performed by the very talented Gerald Dan Halteran. The show is produced by me, Denny Grignot, with some help from Nancy Payne. The July print edition of The Advocate magazine is now available, and you can also find us at lindsayadvocate.ca. Happy Canada Day. Talk to you around July 15th.